0: In the talk with you this evening, I would like to take the theme of the retreat as the theme of the talk i.e. the personal and uh, beyond. Uh, Just uh, recently, Mm. ten or twelve days ago, I was in uh, the USA giving some uh, teaching. And, Somebody said to me that they had seen some uh, videos um, of uh, my poor self by giving uh, talks, which they had watched at meditation group, sitting group. But they said that they, and as uh, a result, rather sweetly, they decided to come and sit a retreat. But when they saw me, they didn't recognise me and um, owing to um, the event on the top of their head whereas last year I had long hair, ponytail length and uh, this year I've gone to the uh, other extreme and the person said to me that they realized it was me because on the video before I began talking I looked at my hand and I did exactly the same thing when I started the talk and I said, "Oh, that's who Christopher is. And interesting how somebody just gives you a little bit of personal information and in 20 years of thousands of talks it had never occurred to me that before the talk I took a look at my hand so now I've become acutely uh, conscious of this <laughs> well that's enough of the personal we'll go to the beyond
1: <laughs>
0: oh dear life so in the inquiry period uh, uh, this uh, this afternoon um, we uh, touched upon this uh, area and question of uh, uh, self and with the concern of not falling into uh, extremism of position one would be some kind of categorical uh, denial of uh, self and positing uh, some fixation of view of no-self as one extreme and the other would be the uh, consistent uh, substantial affirmation of it as though it has some great ultimate uh, reality to it and therefore one should adhere to the fixed view that there is a self which is permanent etc etc and Dharma teaching in this area and in every other area is an encouragement and an exploration to find the wisdom in life and the wisdom which runs and flows as effortlessly as possible in fact between uh, extremes and one of the keys to the unfoldment of the middle way between the extremes is awareness and the central place of awareness hopefully does help to pick us up, pick up for us signals and uh, indications in life of where we're running to an extreme and what kind of messages come to us when we do and I'd like to explore that both in the personal and then if possible endeavour to take it a bit uh, deeper and also along and with the theme of the talk to include and, and introduce in the meditations themselves some um, purposeful and deliberate uh, uh, reflections which might be helpful you know, so often in these meditations as we know it's very much a non-conceiving kind of approach we don't use visualizations we don't use mantras and a great deal of attention is given to their awareness of things and that matters a great deal But I would like, as I say, and I'll speak about this in a little while, to uh, introduce and encourage some uh, reflections and see what arises for you out of these reflections which we can go into in uh, one-to-one groups or whatever. But certainly firstly with the movement of the self, movement of the mind, and uh, what's uh, arising and occurring for us, and Therefore what uh, witnessing Uh, or or awareness keeps revealing it keeps revealing Mm -hmm. and one of the important features of personal life which uh, again was referred to and that is that one of the great vigilances of life of one's own human life human existence is to know oneself Mm -hmm. to know oneself is to know the movement of the mind to know the movement of the mind is to know well and clearly and specifically the unsatisfactory movements of the mind knowing oneself is, is knowing those movements the self is those movements the eye is those movements so in the unsatisfactory movements of of the mind we endeavour and wish to give as much care and attention to them as possible until we resolve the problem arising from the movement and therefore it genuinely is the introduction or the application in as regular and as in a sustained way as possible attention to when they arise and equally the recognition and the application of awareness when they don't arrive when tendencies are to the foreground of experience they influence, dominate, control, send us in all manner of directions and it seems when they're unpleasant, unsatisfactory, no escape from them When the strength of an unpleasant, unsatisfactory tendency has with it as a springboard the unpleasant as a springboard for it the unpleasant and we are not very wise nor skilful in dealing with the unpleasant one of the common tendencies obviously is the wish and the desire and the force of it to escape from it and sometimes we can backtrack over our life as it were leapfrogging from one period to another and we might see with ourselves quite clearly there's been the unpleasant it's kept impacting upon us it's become a problem for us we've built up a relationship of it being problematic we then wish to escape from it we've escaped from it into something else that something else or something related to it then becomes unpleasant then becomes a problem and we do the same thing again and again so we look to the flow of past quite often long-term past we see this unpleasantness problem and escape as one example of what I'm talking about is a sequential event which goes on in various ways uh, in, in my life and the only feature of it is that the content of it changes a little the patterns are the same but the content changes just a little bit and this can go on and on and on through the flow of one's life and some will say when you get so painful and so prob- problematic then the only e- final escape is death but teachings will say it might seem like the escape but it's no escape and sometimes we look at ourselves in in this case one particular pattern of uh many that we might uh, feature, and you say, as I said, this repeats itself with uh, uh frequently we look at it, and it might come to our awareness that escape is no escape; it's just moving around the same block around the same track and we repeat itself that as far and as strong as we wish to get away from that which we are trying to escape from it will actually must bring us back to it so we look at the subtle and the gross levels of escape and one of the instrumental features of that is from the beginning is definitely the unpleasant feeling impacting on oneself identification with it sometimes having, of course, addictive patterns with it, etc, etc and we say, can I just bring back enough bare awareness enough stripped-down, simplified, bare awareness to the very early, original, unpleasant feeling which is arising and see whether or not it really is half the problem that I think it to be half the problem it can be in its more um, subtle uh, form one hears the bell ring and one knows it's yet another sitting another meditation and it generates in the sound of the bell which is obviously reasonably Uh, neutral the sound passing through the air they pass through the ears they go down into the mind they touch a feeling and it generates oh no an unpleasant feeling arises and with it can arise the thought I don't feel like doing the next sitting on popular mantras on retreats and one hardly notices that it was an unpleasant feeling one hardly notices the thought which sprung out of it and one hardly notices that the body which had its direction turned towards the dreaded ramp into the meditation hall has suddenly (laughs) turned its way and with the thought oh, the hermitage wing the outdoors time for a cup of tea I must rest or whatever and all sprung from one feeling arising with a thought with a movement with an action and hardly noticed and we see it subtle no, no great uh, event in in life at all, but in its subtle in its subtlety, sometimes we ought to use the language in the ref- statement, in the reflection, and just state to ourselves, "This is an escape," and then see what one does with it and it might generate a little uh, whatever conflict it might generate more unpleasant feeling. one might start getting thoroughly negative towards the bell ringer poor innocent person teachers, meditation, whole dharma, tradition, practice, the Buddha, the Sangha trees, flowers, <laughs> being here, life on earth etc so it starts off as just an escape from the meditation hall one can't deal with the fact that one, this is an escape and it spills into tremendous generalities not unusual so keeping in touch with the pleasant feeling clear about it the thought which springs from it and the movement which takes place after it just to see what is the doubt can then arise in the mind one hears this and the doubt says well that means it sounds like if I really attend to the unpleasant feeling and I let it go then I've got no reason left to avoid the meditation hall because it's only an unpleasant feeling that triggers the avoidance but if it was oh I can't wait for the next sitting it's going to be such wonderful peace and harmony N- no no I'll escape from that so it's, it'd be an unpleasant feeling which does it in the attendance remember this is our whole life is bound up with what we feel and how we relate to them that in the, if one attends to it and says unpleasant feeling reactive thought escape cool what is, what is then it might appear that it's actually taking away one's right not to go to the meditation hall it could be a way an insidious way of making all the meditators conform making them feel so bad if they're not here at the next sitting they won't be able to sleep because they feel they're escaping responsibility etc. Once you stop and you put your awareness to the unpleasant feeling and genuinely attend to it there has to be risk. It could provoke a lot more than the simple thing, bell rings, I don't feel like the next uh, sitting I think I'll go to the horizontal land and... and... uh, leave that's the risk in stopping at the very point of contact but even in spite of the confusion it it may just bring a moment of clarity and the thought might then arise I haven't come here to do anything else but meditate. What on earth am I doing wanting to slide off and read a book, sit in my car and listen to the car radio, space space out on some walk up and down the hill or whatever it might be. What do I want to do that for? I've come here for one thing, not to escape one's existence. I'm here to sit and to walk I want to feel at the end of it I really gave my time and focus and presence to the fact of being here in a more intensive retreat and so sometimes we just say we look at the feeling we bring the fullness of awareness to it we don't want to identify with the feeling we don't want to just blindly follow up on what the feeling says there's a greater priority to us and so we sit or we walk or we stand and we remind ourselves the essential reason to be here to sit, to walk, to stand with great awareness what we perhaps don't appreciate in the uh, expansion of all of this is that if in our bringing awareness to and our real reflection on and attending to the depth of mind since we're attending to a feeling therefore it's deeper than just intellectual content might be such that there are much more obvious circumstances in life which can trigger a greater fleeing from and when we're rushing away from we can't see what we're rushing towards we have mentioned her name enough times over these days but it's such a statement rushing away from paraphrase fleeing from not realising not able to see what we're going toward so there are situations in our life where there will be impact upon us the wish in the impact upon us to escape from and if we've done hopefully just enough stopping in our life to look at the unpleasant feeling and to stay steady with it it may be that the equanimity and the present and the establishing of our being in that moment may save us from suffering then and fleeing into something far more worse and more difficult than what we have come from. sometimes being steady in the face of the severely unpleasant is much more wise and skillful mostly is than the escape from because we're running away from trying to get away from and we crash I use it as one example of pattern in relationship to the unpleasant And wonderful thing about subtlety, mm. in the teachings the Buddha himself spoke frequently about the importance of going from gross to subtle. That one of the things that we often don't appreciate or realise in subtlety, the influence it has on the growth If, as I say, we're doing practising a subtlety here. Uh, And as one illustration of which I just gave something in the depth of the psyche in the emotional feeling life deep down in some deeper intelligence or whatever we might like to say actually begins to feed and flow its way through into other areas as well unpleasant how do we relate to it? what is typical to know what is typical is to know which is to know ourself is to know what comes typically out of unpleasant feeling what does the mind typically do and usually the options are not that many and we're not that different in that respect as I mentioned um, at the beginning of the talk as far as the personal uh, goes there it would be worthwhile, and my just my suggestion here is in fact to introduce in the meditation, in the sitting, in the walking some reflection on one's relationship to unpleasant feeling what would encourage one to stay much closer to it rather than contracting or fighting or withdrawing or escaping or denying self which can't resolve and to genuinely to attend to unpleasant feeling and to ask yourself what's typical in the face of the unpleasant? in that some things begin to stand out and become clear what's typical then it invites a further on reflection in the meditation what would be a way to relate to this utterly differently utterly differently unpleasant feeling, typical flow-ons, reactions to that's the self in its movement, to bring in what the self doesn't know, which means in a way to ask, what is an other way, completely differently, quite unfamiliar, which is a real contrast to what I usually, normally do. Therefore we go from the known which is the self to the unknown which is not of the self as an exploration as a way of working with just as in the unpleasant feeling through the identification with it it mobilizes the force of aversion Buddhists have spoken ad nauseum about this About uh, the forces and the potency in life of attraction and aversion, in its compelling way. In in o- in other words, one. um let to give it an example? One might go to the 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 uh, uh, toilet. This is very self-evident one, and in uh, going to the toilet someone has just been in there before and being in England there's plenty of toilets around in this place without a lid on the top so one walks in there and it stinks But, but unusual we're gradually moving into the 20th century in this country and more toilets are getting the lid and the immediate response is unpleasant and one's not going to say well actually it's the sweetness of nature that I'm smelling no, it's extraordinarily hard to convince oneself it's unpleasant and if the toilet hasn't cleared it then it's unpleasant for eyes and unpleasant for nose there if the aversion arises then that probably will be directed to the previous tenant
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: who spent there ten minutes or so and one starts forming all sorts of views about this uh, person and calling them whatever really shitty or something and this is obviously the only form of letting go that they know and etc so the unpleasantness gives rise to the aversion and the thing of the aversion is it tends to get directed towards that aversion or it could provoke escape I can't use this one runs down the corridor holding one's bum <laughs> looking for somewhere else. This, honestly, these things go on in retreats. It's called life. So, from the initial there's a contact and the contact produces in all of that which takes place can there be the unpleasant? recognition and acknowledgement of it one goes about performing one's bodily functions and there isn't the aversion nor the fleeing one subtle event walking into the toilet can be a statement of our whole existence in the way that we relate to the unpleasant teachings say if we get to the bare <laughs> <a> bare bones, <laughs> it's not a bad um, metaphor. But to get to the bare bones of the bare feeling of the situation, it doesn't have to produce and generate the reactivity which makes for anguish, for conflict, for negativity, for resentment, for hostility, etc can explore that regularly and frequently there might just be enough depth of natural awareness that when situations arise in our life more gross, more problematic than the mini one that I referred to. It may be just enough awareness which says to us wait, stay steady in the face of the unpleasant be with it out of that the can be enough space and clarity which one's understanding says stay or go. One knows it's not escape, one knows it isn't aversion, one knows it isn't blind reactivity. Natural wisdom, natural understanding says stay or go. Why? It's explored it's at the subtle and with enough practice, enough clarity to see to no situations which matter far more obviously than what toilet we use in a retreat centre. Therefore, as I say, some reflection here during the day making some time and some space for a reflection on one's relationship to unpleasant feelings. To Find the wisdom which is enlightening and clear therefore to go from the known to the unknown to the self, from the self to the not-self rather similarly in fact with uh, attraction and in using uh, attraction because it's obviously uh, the concept is used in uh, various ways we can, through the sense doors through memory through uh, intuition through a sense of things or whatever there again can arise a genuinely pleasant feeling and in the pleasant feeling it produces and it generates an interest why not? human life here and in the generation of pleasant feeling and uh, Uh, interest, it can be just at that no more When, again, a lot more enters into that contact and into that association there is a kind of um, pull towards in the demand of the self towards having there's very little space, very little flexibility and one is pulled toward and that pulling toward may get used in various languages, of course, love or uh, etc. but quite often we see the movement toward and we know it's unwise, unskillful or whatever We know it's just another pushing or compelling pattern which is at work. And thus our life can be one of uh, aversion towards, resistance towards, escaping from on the one side, or the pull towards on the other. That movement of the pull towards can show itself obviously in material world because of all the methodologies to brainwash us into uh, obsessing over what we need in the material world but also and equally of course it can be in the uh, emotional life and one person today uh, commented sometimes it seems easier to Get rid of materialism than to let go of our dependencies on people and on emotional contact and emotional support. But the object is not the issue. It could be materialism for one person, it could be status and um, uh, position and qualifications. Uh, for another it could be to be loved and accepted and uh, appreciated uh, for uh, another it could be uh, attractions towards in terms of place or environment or, or whatever the object itself one thing is never, e I my observation is people never easier than another everything depends upon the strength of the attraction the strength of the wanting the strength of the neediness and for some people being surrounded with everything being absolutely in order everything being just perfect their home, their garden, the little things of their house and etc, etc and wanting that is incredibly strong For some to have a real sense of great financial security and really have lots of money in the bank and to have a good prospects in the future and a great pension to look forward to and all of that. For some people that matters immensely. And they get by without caring too much about whether people like them or not as long as they're fulfilling what they are particularly attracted towards which is having in others that's not the issue at all you know for others the attraction towards is towards emotional life towards feeling life it's towards contact from the feeling that arises there of how nice it would be to have one again, as with aversion, begins to identify with it, hold to it, cling to it, take it up, or whatever and the proof of what attraction means in Dharma language means that if it's attraction, if it's the pull towards and it doesn't arrive it's disappointing, it hurts, one feels rejected one feels neglected one feels cut off one feels isolated one feels unloved unwanted and what does it do? it makes it even stronger so the neediness gets even that bit stronger and then when it's when people get more and more needy what's the relationship of other people? we've all been in situations I'm sure where we've been around very needy people who some of us Oh my gosh! Almost invite it. People, sometimes people I know ring. Some people have been have rang me up several times in a week. Sometimes several times in the day. Sometimes in the middle of the night. Every night. my phone numbers in the in the in the phone book. You can get it anywhere. Which I've had a few thoughts about over the last 17 years. I have to say. <laughs> and the need to talk, Christopher, Christopher. And people sometimes the need is so strong they're totally forgetful that there are time zones in this world. <laughs> and ringing me up between 1 am and 6 am is not the best time. But <laughs> so people, that, when the mind is in need, it doesn't even think time zones. It just thinks, I must talk. So, when that happens, and it happens frequently for some people, What's the impact on the person on the receiving end of neediness? Oh my God! <laughs> Please, not again, etc. But <laughs> five oneself picking up the phone and saying, "I'm sorry, I'm not at home." <laughs> 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 so it has the opposite impact other people begin to step back from which generates stronger and then a step back gets further we don't realise in the movement of the self in terms of attraction and aversion that in the push and the pull of all, all of that it's never fulfilling it just never fulfills human beings and the life, as the tradition has wisely said, please, please be vigilant about the forces of attraction and aversion. Don't feed them. And therefore, contact with, connection with, spacious, spaciousness around matters much more, it's emotionally much easier psychologically much uh, uh, easier and then contact connection interaction can flow much more freely and one knows the difference between contact and communication and the pull towards get summarized as attraction the aversion towards or the escape from and if we attend to that in the days here and say, okay, what areas of my life does the force of attraction work in an unsatisfactory way? Sometimes it probably one of the strongest ones would have to be food. I think, I see, I just noticed I was just in the uh, kitchen uh, earlier on with just bought the last two or three weeks two extremely uh, nice big refrigerators there and how uh, easy it could be for my managers or, or others I really would like etc. and then it can get a fixation in the mind towards, I need, I must have and any rationalisation will come, probably one of the most favourite which one hears in places like this is the, a buzzword, protein
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have absolutely no idea what protein is but it's, it's one of the it's a more popular mantra than Om Mani Padme Hum Uh, I must have my protein uh, 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 and the mind carries it uh, and there's the feeling there there's the attraction there and it's protein uh, 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 people are sitting in their meditations imagining cutting off the backside of a cow to get at their protein or whatever So movement, feeling, how nice it would be to have attraction towards quite different from awareness, love, connection, spaciousness, interaction, communication, freedom of expression and it would be a pity for us and and for the self to end up in its movement in life as prisoners of these two forces Literally bound into them. Therefore, we say, let's we'll meditate on this. We'll attend to the arising of the unpleasant feeling. We'll attend more carefully than, possibly, than perhaps what we usually do to the arising of the pleasant feeling. We'll look at those two there. We'll actually ask ourselves in our meditation what situations arise where they arise and I get bound up in them Problem is not the pleasant nor the unpleasant whether we're Buddhas whether halfway to being Buddhas or whether we've never heard of anything like this for all without exception in life pleasant feelings arise unpleasant feelings arise and that range in between from that as long as life breathes there is no escape it doesn't need to be because they're not a problem in and of themselves they're naturally arising you see flowers hopefully naturally arising as pleasantness and as I said earlier we go into the uh, 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 toilet and uh, we see the remnants of the last visitor Naturally arising unpleasant. Everybody's going to be pulling the chain so furiously in the next two or three days that, honestly, if your chain doesn't work, just leave it as a teaching. So, the <laughs> sorry about that. But sometimes we think life is only one or the other, only pleasant or unpleasant. But there is a kind of Range, hard for language to put into there, or which is between the two, and that range between the two, which we say neither pleasant nor unpleasant, plenty of time on in situations and certainly this environment as much as others. We might say, kind of usual, typical, ordinary description. Oh, well, I can't say my sitting or my walking was pleasant, but I also wouldn't describe it as unpleasant. It's kind of somewhere in that range between. And the teachings and the Buddha, I think, very importantly here, has attended to and addressed this kind of neither one nor the other, this area in between. The difficulty with this area in between that if we don't understand it itself either we tend to get rather stuck in it Oh, it's just another day just another meditation just another sitting, another walking or whatever just another evening talk or whatever it it is that one feels neutralised around and if we don't see that as that very well and very clearly it will become unsatisfactory and it will either build up negativity or build up the desire to be attracted to something to get away from it I think of any situation where you've been whatever and it seems Just so. Not pleasant, not unpleasant, just, just what it is. The intimation is that gradually it leads itself, it lends itself towards attraction towards or aversion. So in the experience of something which is very, very ordinary, nothing special happening whatsoever could we attend and bring awareness right into the most ordinary non-special non-significant event maybe in the between the pleasant and the unpleasant the middle between the two maybe there is much more to realise and discover than just calling it and labelling it are just just another meditation just a sit, just a walk just nothing to say, nothing to say about it and maybe that which is non-personal just as with pleasant and unpleasant we can go into to realise something which the pleasant and the unpleasant rest in realise something in which the pleasant and the unpleasant, and what's in between, rest in. So it seems like, when we look at ourselves, we say, my God, whether I like it or whether I don't, whether I want it or not, I'm influenced by either pleasant feelings, I am influenced by unpleasant feelings, or I am influenced by neither those who are extremely, who like to feel they're very objective and rational and uh, cerebral and intellectual will say, well, we mustn't let our feelings uh, influence us we must that's got nothing to do with it, we mustn't um, do anything at this time because it's too emotionally charged time so we keep all that feeling like that, we hear these voices Um, quite, quite frequently it's it's called Parliament and (laughs) and so there's an attempt to minimise that to neutralise feeling life therefore it would appear that there is a very strong attachment to the holding onto a neutral feeling Keeping it the feeling life neutral, strictly neutral, in order that one can just talk out of the top of one's head, which is what happened. Not a clue. Through this attachment to an experience, experience, if one hardly call it that which is not pleasant, not unpleasant, no feelings are involved in it somewhere between the two and that's kept out of sight of consciousness so one can talk from another level it's called science it's called being objective <laughs> still got the influence but of a certain kind of feeling between the pleasant and the unpleasant and what these things are saying it's no way to live it's no way to live. People who are not in touch with those three ranges of feelings cannot take care of this world. Cannot take care of themselves. And we see all the consequences. So the attending to the neutral, neutral, I don't like the word neutral, but t- attending to that middle range of uh, feeling um, as matters as much as the others, and therefore we ask ourselves in the context of the depth of feeling we actually ask ourselves, remember in the context of the depth of feeling what springs out from this? And we say, ah, the self springs out the formations of the mind spring out the attitudes of the mind spring out the tendencies of the mind spring out the problems of life spring out therefore if we get closer and closer less of that springing out, more of the interest, it's not the curiosity of exploring and going more sensitively deep within, maybe, either through the open doorway of the pleasant feeling, the open doorway of the in-between feeling, and the open doorway of the unpleasant feeling, we will discover that in which all this rests, which is liberating, freeing, and immediately enlightening. and therefore we say uh, bringing our awareness to all of this might require some kind of care and reflection. The general principle, especially with insight meditation, general principle is we don't deliberately reflect we meditate using observation breathing, body observation of thoughts observation of states of mind arising and passing observation of sounds etc and as it were invaluably a trust in the pure observation that from the observation to see what unfolds itself which is insightful and clear and direct and beneficial coming naturally, that we through our mindfulness, through our meditation, we're generating enough space to see well and clearly. And we're saying, as in the teachings, with the seven factors of enlightenment first one is awareness, second one is inquiry or reflection, dharma, is inquiry or reflection, and uh, internal form of it is one in which there is some short statement of question one is what are the outcomes when I am identified and caught up with a pleasant, unpleasant or somewhere in between when I'm not caught up in one of those three what is there to be discovered? when there's just bare pleasant feeling bare unpleasant feeling bare between the two what to be discovered therein? something rather deep and profound and mysterious some meditations with some reflection One doesn't have to consume each meditation with the reflection. If you find that in the process of that you engage in some quiet reflection only to find that your mind goes on a a roll and it's thinking, 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 thinking then one used the counterbalance of coming back to the non-thinking, non-reflecting kind of meditation mindfulness of breathing, being right here, right now being grounded, using the backside contact with the cushion getting oneself centred again so that one can reflect one can just turn and attend to reflection so that we don't find ourselves spinning off put it in Dharma language, the balance of samatha, which means calmness steadiness, relaxation with uh, vipassana, which means uh, insight and reflection as a a vehicle for, for that If we explore all of that perhaps we can discover that the personal and beyond is a kind of inseparable marriage one is not at the expense of the other May all beings live with awareness May all beings see into the depths of our existence May all beings live with wisdom In the talk yesterday evening I uh, spoke about the personal, personal and beyond, and in attending to uh, the personal, spoke primarily with regard to the movement of the eye through two particularly strongly conditioning and compelling tendencies of uh, attraction and aversion and how our life can be pushed and pulled around under the sway, if not the shadow of uh, these two and thereby if we can attend to these movements in life these extremities of uh, ways of uh, living we might be able to discover that which is vast, open and clear which expresses uh, communication uh, and a deep sense of interconnectedness, and in the talk with you this evening, I would like to flow on from that uh, a bit a bit further, and particularly with regard to the beyond. It seems when one takes uh, uh, any interest to speak in generalities for a moment or two uh, in uh, religion whether it's east or west, north or south there is often reference to something beyond beyond all of this common word for this is uh, God but other uh, words have been uh, used the ultimate, the absolute uh, transcendent, the beyond. One of the favorite one has gone on from one generation to another of the Buddhist tradition is Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamagate, Bodhisattva. See how good my memory is. <laughs> and the Gate, Gate uh, lines which take place. Uh, gone, gone, gone to the beyond gone to one's enlightenment something like that the name of the Tathagata Tathagata one who's gone to suchness of things one hears too of the metaphysical, the transcendence from the ordinary to the super ordinary so there is religion old and new strongly and noticeably advocating something beyond beyond birth and death beyond all this uh, anguish of this world beyond day-to-day problems beyond one's own personal existence and it's a, a shared language and a shared value a shared perception so there appears for us a kind of duality of us, uh, ordinary, poor, slovenly little souls, and the days going by from one to the next until the nature squeezes the last breath out of us and then there are these reminders these religious texts the uh, the language, etc. of going to the beyond and the promise and assurances if we are able to do that we will know and taste of something infinitely better than all of this world of living in the world of attraction and aversion cause and effect birth and death so some have looked at all of this and looked in still keeping with the generalities for a moment or two have looked at all of this and have met and seen those who claim to have found God and be with God or God has come into their lives and and saved them or whatever it might be I might have looked at such people and thinks, well, if that a demonstration of what being saved is, I'll take my chances with the masses. <laughs> so sometimes the impact of being saved or finding God or getting enlightened or going to the beyond or whatever seems to have terrible consequences on one's inner life instead of the diminishing of the ego it can increase and there's a fair degree of power and arrogance and uh, self-righteousness and narrow-mindedness and one thinks, wow all because of this God or this uh, enlightenment experience or whatever if that's the actual um, uh, outcome seems like sometimes the unenlightened seem dare we say much more enlightened so sometimes it leaves discomfort in the perception that we have of enlightenment, unenlightenment, being with God being a poor creature struggling through life or whatever so if something is of any significance whatsoever the demonstration, the living proof has to be in the quality of our life it's got to find its manifestation in some way or other through our experience through our interaction with ourselves and with life itself and of course, obviously, with each other but sometimes, in looking at all of that we might find in the flow of all of that that uh, there is our day-to-day life going on and we say, what is this beyond? and since it can be a real unknown unfamiliar, unexperienced uncontactable then it would be largely a demonstration of faith and hope and practice and exploration in fact to see what stops it one of the uh, great German mystics um, Meister Eckhart said a, a lovely lovely thing he said when I experience love with my love I want to, I wish to go to God when I experience non-attachment God must come to me and in all of that one might say at times there's the day-to-day life which we've talked about enough personal life going on, this, that and the other all the preoccupations that we have called the personal and there's the experience of the personal just sometimes just fading and dropping away and we're not at all interested in those times and in those moments about our life what it is who am I where I'm going, what I'm doing with it or whatever and there is a receptivity which is bigger than ourselves larger than ourselves and it might come through uh, silence it might come through a sense of wonder and mystery but something other is touching us. And we can't quite explain how or why or what the conditions are that make it happen but it can happen. And it seems that in the fading away of self, self, self and self yet again there is something that goes on which we as human beings can and do respond to and what is called the path the way, the practice, the teachings, the inquiries, the meditations become useful aids and resources to lower the temperature of the ego Diminish it sufficiently enough that in its diminishing, the sense of something else begins to stand out more beautiful than even the most successful personal storyline. And teachings and teachers in uh, various ways over the centuries have done their very best to remind us uh, of this and If I just take a little uh, contemporary uh, example of this and uh, today uh, Shaila is on the retreat and I have a uh, uh, speaking uh, about, about this In the um, the Dharma network of the insight meditation uh, Community has been a genuinely solid and sustained atmosphere throughout the retreat, wherever they are in the world, of dedication to silence, dedication to meditation, and dedicated to the insights and the understanding that emerges from the combination, really, of silence, meditation, and uh, teachings. And during the mid-1980s there was some questioning going on those of you who were uh, around more than a decade uh, ago on the, uh, the Dharma scene there was decreasing amount of questioning going on with regard to the language and the practice of path, path, path and path again and this was particularly noticeable on uh, my uh, visits to the U.S. M- much more than uh, uh, here or in continental Europe and and there was a kind of wondering where the end of this path was and when one's had this very strong influence of the Telavada tradition that in the Concept of that—it's very much path to result, path to fruit, path to end—a very linear uh, thought and model of developing the path. I mean, uh, a strong notion. In uh, going back a little earlier, in 1981, I, giving the retreat in Bhutgaya, I was bemoaning that in India it was hard to find teachers not bound up with religiosity who were teaching freedom who were teaching liberation, moksha and in a country at that time of about um, 750 million, it's now of course 950 million one was hard pressed to find half a dozen names and I remember after the evening uh, talk in Budgaya someone came up to me and said well there are who have been in India for years and there is one teacher named Punja, Punjaji in Lucknow and a good friend of uh, ours, uh, Murray uh, Feldman, two or three years later went to see him some of you will know his name, 1984 and went to see him and came back with a great deal of enthusiasm about the insights and the understanding and the pointing to something which was immediate and beyond beyond personal self beyond I, me and my and there were a small number of people who were going and benefiting because they were visiting his home and it was a small place so Pundaji and I corresponded and I remember the one-liner that I used because the retreats in Budgaya are rather full and etc that I wouldn't kind of put his name and address on the notice board at the end of the retreat because so many would descend upon him therefore I'd send him I always remember the one line I wrote in the correspondence I'll send sounds a bit conceited but I, I'll send the cream of the milk <laughs> And from the mid-1980s, 84, 85, 86, and people began to go. And including senior students, some of the Dharma teachers from the US, other places, went and benefited considerably from the forms of inquiry and dialogue which took place. And that era continued until last Saturday night when Poonjati died. And... I received a phone call um, uh, yesterday from Raja the Shada and that over these uh, years when Punja has been very much based in his home place of uh, Lucknow that people, hundreds of people have been going of course many friends from the uh, Dharma network people from uh, uh, Puna, the followers of Osho and uh, and others for the satsangs which more recent years, because of his health has become much more devotional. So, uh, just over a week ago uh, Punjaji was taken into hospital in Lucknow uh, was on oxygen and 11.15 on Saturday evening uh, died from heart failure and uh, the funeral I telephoned uh, Lucknow; he's home today, and uh, funeral if I understood was uh, held yester- yesterday. And of course, immense number of condolences have been sent uh, to all of, all of the family. And use it as one small example an illustration here that the teachings, which pointing towards insight and understanding, and towards that access to an immediacy in life of of freedom and therefore in practice and in uh, teachings being respectful and acknowledging the importance of the past the importance of all that all the challenge that those who love the Dharma dearly but not and never forgetting nor neglecting as well the importance of uh, the immediacy of things and what discoverable here and now What discoverable here and now which is beyond the mundane beyond the ordinary beyond the everyday and I would say of the many avenues of interest and exploration that the uh, meditation networks and communities uh, have and continue to explore and have great love in with the Dog Chain of course Contemporary, but certainly uh, Punjaji was an important turning point for a number of uh, people. In that, when we look at our inner life to our uh, outer life, we say, okay, let someone say, Well, I listen, I don't, I've never had any beyond experience, it doesn't seem to be anything. All I know is myself trying to live as well and as clearly as uh, possible in my a day-to-day life but all of that seems rather remote and aloof and detached from my actual experience and then we might say well, it will take some act of possible faith possible uh, uh, sitting down as it were and taking a real look at one's life and in taking a real uh, look at one's life, or in a way, asking ourselves, maybe all the saints and sages of past, present, and future, since they all seem to be pointing to something, even though, as we know time immemorial, it's been savagely misunderstood, and sometimes as accelerated egotism, arrogant power um, um, inflated ego narrowness of belief systems all those things I referred to uh, uh, earlier on and there are risks involved in all of this but maybe those who have come to some genuine depth of realisation and freedom do basically know what they're talking about are extraordinarily consistent in the statements that are going out do have an unwavering interest in the welfare and liberation of others and have an undiminishing sense of joy and happiness and uh, uh, presence with life and always say in some way or other one has been whatever touched by the beyond or embraced with freedom or felt the presence of God or know of something which is not personal or whatever. And if i says to oneself when I'm passing through my life from one day to the next and perhaps some of the men and women who have walked on this earth have who we perhaps most love and cherish do seem to have had access to something not just what's in it for me in my life do have access to something else and other if one takes that seriously as some of us have done and some of us here have taken the message of the saints and sages very, very seriously both those of past as well as present then it starts for us to start looking at our own life and saying how far am I willing to go to find out how much am I willing to renounce? How much am I willing to really work on and change in myself? What am I actually prepared to do or give up or work with or whatever it might be to contribute to making something happen? To understand something so well which is freeing, and without making it sound fanciful enlightening And it manifests in some, what shall we call it, tangible way in day-to-day life. And it's important that the relative and the ultimate, the personal and the beyond, are equally, in a way, equally attended to. And if one just takes the general flow, uh, the historical flow of... uh, if I may say, as being um, in the first uh, generation of uh, Westerners to bring the uh, Dharma of uh, Liberation from uh, East to West and the teachings that give support to it. And in the historical flow of uh, things, a couple of uh, decades or or so, one does see the tremendous uh, love and commitment and focus and dedication with the practice. And, as I mentioned, with all of that, there is the attending to what is called the personal living with less greed, less hate, less fear, less anxiety, less confusion, less stress, greater depth, understanding ourselves in relationship to life. All of that which uh, matters. But at some point, in all of that which matters, which are the relatives, there needs to be a kind of turning to that which is more important and that somehow or other is that which is beyond which we would say is more important perhaps what we do with our life begins to fit in with something bigger that we're not just as it were doing all this for ourselves we're not just doing it as beneficial as it is so that we have less less confusion and conflict with others and we appreciate the moments of life more all of which is some commitment and some enlightenment of itself but still nevertheless there can be a sense and experience of feeling increasingly more well integrated personally and socially with life itself, with our work, with our creativity, with our outdoor life and our indoor life, and our values, increasingly more integrated, and in the process of that integration, more and more, we ought to be turning our attention to that which is beyond all this, or that which, in which all of this—that means oneself, oneself and life itself—as it were, fits into. And if it still seems vague and uh abstract and beyond beyond, so to speak and so and very far removed from us, then it implies that in our life there is something which is obstructing the beyond is actually closer to us than the very thoughts coming out of our own mind but we use the language of beyond because the self in a strange way feels comfortable with it but it's magically much closer than the appearance of of the eye and the mind of the self extraordinary thing so if in our time and days here just as yesterday evening I was in giving encouragement to attend to the forces of attraction and aversion and finding skillful ways and means to dissolve the potency of all of that to open up the life in a more free, free movement there that perhaps in all of that we can listen it well and clearly and in that listening well and clearly what does God mean to me? what does true reality mean? what is my relationship to liberation? what's the fulfillment and the completion of all of this? so in other words in the rhythm and flow when the meditations are flowing along go well there Helpful and useful to genuinely stop and just ask: Where's the freedom here and now? What's the obvious manifestation of it? Is the beyond still beyond, or has it ceased to be as the gap ceased to be? One of the dangers which uh, is in meditation is that one becomes a good meditator it'd be rather a pity and some of the teachers of uh, last uh, generation have put out quite a few warnings um, about it and certainly uh, 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 Punja and uh, of course, uh, Krishnamurti, and Ramlataka and Sri Nisargadatta, and sometimes those of us who knew these people, and for those those four, I uh, met, spent many many hours uh, uh, talking with them. So, in looking at what were they talking about? What were they doing? Why they? So hard on meditation it wasn't always easy, I must say, as a meditation teacher talking to them without ending up very defensive (laughs) and various kind of um, I remember going to see Sri Nisargadatta uh, Maharaj she used to make fun of the Maharaj Maharaj means great king, you know, kind of religious label and he, he said to me, I was a monk at the time and he said to me how much meditation have you done? I said uh, "Well, uh, year, years morning, noon and night and by that time three years in the monastery best part of year in the cave etc etc and uh, said enough plenty and he said to me what have you got out of all of this meditation? I already n- knew the mind of Sri Nisargadatta. So uh, I said to him, Absolutely nothing whatsoever. <laughs> and he got off his seat. I always remember this. A, used to have small satsangs, 10, 15 of us. 1974. He got off the seat, he walked over to me, he gave me a big hug, walked back to his seat and laughed. Then someone else said, what, 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 what do you mean? And I said, how could I get anything out of meditation? I got nothing whatsoever. How could I? So sometimes in the movement of the mind, even in the process of the meditation, that mischievous eye is appearing, get, getting a bit more subtle. It's not going around shooting people anymore. <laughs> and in its getting more subtle, it's still moving along the line. Of what am I getting out of this, and the very thought carries into the retreat into the then into the meditation room, what am I getting out of this? What's coming out of this? and the eye can't help but want to get something out of it. And the whole purpose of the meditation is that the eye gives up all hope of getting anything out of anything all hope for this it's a complete delusion yet a little variation in the sensation a little bit less pain a little bit more pleasant I once said, oh, I'm really getting something out of my meditation. <laughs> Mine's a strange mystery. <laughs> you know, I, I never understood why people would ever walk, want to walk into a temple and a monastery and bow down before a Buddha image. Nothing. You know, when it, when we, when even, I said, over my dead body, do we ever have one in this hall? <laughs> and... I meant it I I told one of the Kravada monks that as well he's waiting for me to die Uh, (laughs) and I'm serious and I think in fact we should bow down to the I and and do our prostration to the I for its ability to get in on every single act of life (laughs) And the Buddha wasn't in the same league. So I think we'll have an eye statue in here, <laughs> big one with an exclamation mark. So in the as the sense of well-being and the flow and the. Uh, I'm never quite sure if people are laughing at Christopher or enjoying the the the, the deep laugh of Lloyd. <laughs> it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a it's an unforgettable.
1: <laughs>
0: Actually, Lloyd, it's yours. I can see. <laughs> good. I think you should come and sit here with me, We'll we'll be a good act together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the <dear>, wonderful Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful.
1: <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, marvelous. Oh. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, <right. laughs>
0: so sometimes we look and we see there's our life, inner life manifesting, flowing, and all the marvelousness of it all. And sometimes, as I said earlier, there's a receptivity receptivity puts all the outcomings of the inner life into a kind of perspective because you have a sense of something greater and the, the, the greater that sense then the gap between beyond and here and now not beyond themselves but beyond and here and now actually gets reduced and we do sense and experience in our life sometimes the dissolution, hopefully for everybody, a dissolution of the gap. That one senses and knows something wonderful or like insightful or clear or truly deeply present and the impact on one's being is that when in that there's no demand left on anything nor anyone. Nothing. There's no demand on life in any way whatsoever. It's like the beyond is fulfilling, immediate present, the gap drops away, and one knows there's nothing more to be asked of in this world. One has tasted of something. And that can occur in silence, as I said, in, the, in a kind of insignificant event that comes through our senses in attending to uh, teachings in the processes of meditation in being indoors or outdoors or whatever and there's a genuine authentic sense of completion, fulfilment, presence there the beyond has ceased to be beyond and teachings and the flow of teachings keep pointing to that so I say therefore to repeat a little bit that it is important that When there is a sense of well being, not to just rest there, not to just to feel comfortable and passive, but to invite, to ask, to question, to wonder, and the beyond and the beyond and just see what, if any kind of responses also come from within. And, and, and being vigilant of course of not using memory not using memory not saying to oneself or other I remember when past is past it's beyond us, it's gone and therefore maximizing of uh, receptivities not just settling for sense of well-being you have the sense of well-being to forget the sense of well-being enough there can be the deep integration the deep marriage of the beyond and the personal not at odds with each other may all beings live with awareness may all beings live with joy may all beings be embraced with the beyond so let's have a couple of uh, quiet minutes together shall we please